And we're going to have a conversation with Lisa, Lisa Reville, and she is the executive director of the Harm Reduction Action Center. And she is one of my new heroes of medicine, because I think that what she and what her organization do are absolutely amazing. So Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we're going to give you a softball. We're going to ask you how you got started uh, with this harm reduction movement and, and kind of what brought you to, to the position that you're in today. Great. So the Harm Reduction Action Center is Colorado's largest public health agency that works specifically with people who inject drugs. We've been an agency since 2002. We passed syringe exchange legislation in 2010. And finally, able, we're able to begin doing um, syringe access on February 8, 2012. I've been the executive director for the last seven and a half years. About 10 years ago, my husband and I were in Alaska. And I had always wanted to do like an AmeriCorps situation, so we went down to Central Coast, California. It was at an AIDS agency, so I could work in development work with them. And they had a syringe exchange, and it blew my mind. I had never heard of anything like that before. Um, at the same time, uh, because we were in Ameri I was in AmeriCorps, I wasn't allowed to live in the housing with my husband and my dog, which I thought they were my cross to bear. And so for seven months, we were homeless, living on the streets of Monterey County while I served in this position um, that did syringe access. So it kind of awoke this activist voice in me, and I haven't been able to stop since. So what do you, I mean, when, when we think about harm reduction in, in the United States, what can we do better in our ERs? And what does it mean for an emergency providers, this harm reduction movement? Sure. So I think it's important that we talk, when we talk about harm reduction, we talk about prevention over here. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. We have substance abuse treatment here. We have the criminalization of drug users. And harm reduction is simply the life in the middle. In a very magical world, there would be no drugs, but we live here, and there's one safe thing to do today. So my folks, um, I currently work with 5,200 uh, individuals who are currently injecting primarily heroin, but also meth as well. Um, and a big thing for my folks is there is a very deeply entrenched street rumor that emergency departments warrant check folks. If you are homeless or a drug user in our community, you probably have a warrant <laughs> out for your arrest. Opioid users never want to be in withdrawal, right? So a lot of times they won't even access the emergency departments because for fear that they'll be arrested when they go in there. We know that's not true, we know you're HIPAA, but it's a deeply entrenched street rumor. We also know that when sometimes folks go into the emergency department for an abscess, this is them having st stood in front of us and we're saying you've got to go in. You've got to go in, you're gonna lose an arm. A lot of times they'll go into the emergency department and they will lance their abscess without anesthesia because if it hurts enough, you'll stop doing drugs. What that actually does the next time they have an abscess is they try to lance it in my bathroom or underneath a bridge. And one of the third issues that we have is a lot of times our folks will go into the emergency department, they will be admitted, they'll go up to a floor, uh, but we've got a heroin user that will end up getting half a Percocet a day for pain. So what happens then is that they're in withdrawal, right? We know you, you, you sh we don't want you to get them high, but we know that they do need to get well. So what happens is, is they either have a friend bring in heroin, right? Because what's a really great pain reliever? Heroin. Or they leave AMA. And I used to work at a nursing home. I know when you see that AMA, you're like, problem patient, right? So the problem is, is they'll come back to us and we're like, no, 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 you've got to go back into the emergency department. You've got to go back, right? You should not be on the streets. And they'll say, no, I'm not going to go back. So we're having some issues with folks being able to get health care that they need and they deserve. Because if stigma and shame worked with drug use, we wouldn't have this problem. 
We've already tried stigma and shame for years and years and years. And all that's done is drive use underground to get preventable chronic diseases such as HIV, hepatitis C, and die of overdose. We can do something different. No, and that resonates deeply. Do you think, you know, in emergency medicine and in medicine in general, what advice would you give to us as providers on how we can revolutionize how we approach these patients and how we reach them? My folks know that you want them to be abstinent. We know the, the world, they know the world wants them abstinent. We believe if people want to live a life of recovery, they shouldn't have to live with chronic diseases such as HIV and Hep C. If they don't want to live a life of recovery, they shouldn't have to live with chronic diseases such as HIV and Hep C. When we talk to our folks, we talk about that one vein you never, ever, ever, ever touch because that's the vein you use when you go into the emergency department, right? We know if you can't start a line, things already start off poorly. So our folks trust them when they say, this is the vein for you, <laughs> right? So we talk about that because we want them to keep healthy veins. We know that the way you're initiated is the way that you inject your entire career. So a lot of folks will have blown veins by the time you come in. What we also need is I need you prescribing naloxone for them when they leave the emergency department. The biggest thing that we have is that we have observation of an overdose, right? We have access to naloxone. My program since 2012 has trained 1,000 drug users and 430 lives have been saved by drug users in Denver of other drug users with access to naloxone. It works, right? Most overdoses are witnessed and happen over hours. So what I need though is that, you know, the shortest acting opioid is what, three or four hours and so the overdose can come back. So it's up to my folks to call 911 to work through all law enforcement stuff to get to the emergency department and we know you're gonna have them on a Narcan drip for a while. We totally get that. But now they're in a period of abstinence and they're at higher risk of overdosing when they leave your area, your, you know, your emergency department. So I really need them having access to naloxone. We've passed standing orders. We've passed standing orders last year. All 100 state legislators voted in support of it. And when's the last time they agreed on anything, right? So it's possible it can happen in your community and in your emergency department because a lot of folks don't call 911 for fear of arrest. And so the folks that are actually coming into the emergency department a lot of times are from pills that they didn't even know they were at risk, right? So having that be the Colorado standard Denver Health is killing it over there with getting naloxone out. Denver Health, university's on its way. St. Joe's is getting there. But in every other emergency department in Colorado, when somebody is discharged after observation of an overdose, the discharge papers say, stop using drugs, please. Great, okay, great. Except you cannot get somebody into substance abuse treatment in the state of Colorado today. I can't do it and I have a priority population. I know you can't do it, right? But what we can do today is keep people alive. Dead addicts don't have the opportunity for recovery. Now it's it's available over the counter. Is that is that accurate? Ish. Ish. So how does it how do you actually get it? Yeah. So there's about 220 pharmacies in the state of Colorado today that you can walk into and get naloxone virtually over the counter. So it is a prescription drug. However, you don't need a prescription when you go in there. StoptheClockColorado.org has all of those pharmacies in an interactive map where folks can walk into today. All 144 King Superstores. CVS pharmacies that are now in Target, Rite Aid, um, and a few independents as well. Uh, Dr. Larry Wolk with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is the standing orders doc for all these pharmacies that folks can walk into today. Police have it? Oh, police have it and they love it. Okay, so 24 law enforcement departments in the state of Colorado are currently carrying it. Denver Police Department was first. Colorado Springs Police Department was second. 
Who would have thought that? And so 24 before 8.30 a.m. last Thursday. I say that because the Attorney General's office found funding to, an, to equip those top 17 counties that Rob was talking about earlier to make sure that law enforcement and fire have access to naloxone. So in the next six weeks, there's going to be six more trainings around the state, and we'll have over 70 departments in the state of Colorado carrying naloxone. They were thirsting for the information. They're excited about saving a life. They went in to serve, and this is perfect for them. So I have two questions for you. The first is I had a conversation. I still have these conversations with ER doctors and with nurses that say I will not prescribe naloxone to people because I'm enabling them. Mm -hmm. What would you say to those doctors and those nurses? You're enabling them to live. We have had, we have a problem. I think it's been very clear. You've had a lot of speakers currently. Um, Oxys are running 50 cents a milligram on the streets of Denver. 180 milligram pill is $40. $40 will keep you well on heroin for a lot longer than that. Heroin purity in Denver right now is anywhere between 2 and 37% at all times. Nobody ever knows what they're getting. I'd actually rather they did pills than heroin, right? And so because most overdoses are witnessed, I need drug users and people who love drug users, mothers, homeless service providers, me, law enforcement, we need a prescription in our name because we're best placed to do so. So yes, enable a life, prescribe naloxone. The second part of that is, you know, we all know the complications. Any doctor or nurse in here can rattle off a list of the complications of IV drug abuse. Mm -hmm. Cranky. If I ask them to tell me how to prevent those risks, to tell people how to use heroin, they give me a blank look. So can you run us through some of the counseling that you give to your addicts, how you keep them safe, so that we can give that information when they're in our emergency departments? Mm -hmm. So when folks, nobody's mandated to come to us, thankfully. Um, so when they come to us, 83% of our folks have never been to a syringe exchange before. So they come in and they do an intake and we ask what kind of referrals they need. We never talk about substance abuse treatment unless they talk about it with us, right? They know the world wants them to be abstinent. But what they do thirst for is not only the access to sterile syringes, and what we're doing is creating a relationship with a very marginalized population that has been told never, ever, ever tell anybody that you're doing this, right? So we're like, hi, fill out this form, let's talk about it, right? But they can talk realistically about their drug use. And one of the biggest issues that folks have is vein care issues. We see that. We are not, trying, we are not initiating new injectors. These are folks coming to us and they've actually not come to us soon enough. So a lot of times they have abscesses all over. You know, alcohol pads cost a penny. One swipe before you, before you inject will keep you out of the emergency department for abscesses, right? One alcohol pad, talking to folks about that. They don't know. Um, if you don't have access to sterile water, all drugs need to be made as blood-like as possible. So we need to have a lot of water, right? That's healthier for the vein. There's a common misconception that you can cook away your drug, so a lot of people don't use water. That's more difficult on your veins. If they don't have access to sterile water, it doesn't mean that they don't inject. It means they use water from the back of a toilet, which I would rather over river water, which happens all the time, over saliva. And we know people will almost lose an arm, but that's how badly people are injecting and needing to inject, because opioid users aren't really getting high anymore, they're just getting well. Right, so vein care issues are a big deal. We talked about the way that they're initiated as a way that they inject. A lot of times you got some rando guy on the street that teaches them to inject this way, right? We know it needs to be going towards the heart. 
So really talking with folks because they're very um, shameful about it and they're very embarrassed and, and we want to talk about that. We talk about endocarditis, we talk about necrotizing fasciitis, right? They thirst for that knowledge. They don't want to have hep C. Three in four injectors in Denver are hep C positive and more than one in 10 are HIV positive. They know not to share the syringes, but where they're getting hepatitis C a lot of the times is the water, right? You're injecting, hepatitis C will live in injecting water for 62 days. So the naloxone is a big piece, the vein care is a big piece, and having, you know, listen, having substance abuse treatment referrals is really great because you need that because I have people standing in front of me every day wanting to get in and I cannot get them in. But what we can do is keep them free from HIV and hepatitis C and alive long enough until we can get them in. Right now, inpatient in our community, there's a waiting period of two to four weeks and they need to detox before that. Suboxone is practically a story of hope. Rob talked about the prescriber issues. I can maybe get somebody on a list and they can get in in three to five weeks. And if you want to get into methadone, there's 12 clinics in the state, five are in Denver. You need to have a valid Colorado ID and some sort of payment like Medicaid. If you've never had a valid Colorado ID, you need to get your birth certificate and your social security card to then get on the ID run, to then have a place where you can mail it, to then I can get you in in four to seven days, right? So we are this life in between whether or not they want to go to treatment. I think there's a, a lot of skepticism amongst some of the community about suboxone and methadone programs, the sort of notion of exchanging addictions, if you will. How, how, how would you speak to that? Well, I think there needs to be a million different kind of treatments for a million different kind of people. I think it's difficult when we ask people to basically fit into three to five kind of substance abuse treatment options. Relapse is often a part of recovery. Most of my folks have been in um, recovery at one point or another. I think there continues to be stigma about suboxone and methadone. Suboxone and methadone give people sustainability where they can flourish in their lives, right? They're not injecting anymore, they can get jobs, they can push forward. So I think it works. I think there's even a lot of stigma and shame within users. A lot of times I'll get people that are like, oh, well, I don't want I don't want suboxone or methadone, so I'm just going to stop using. And it's like, okay, but any period of abstinence puts them at higher risk of overdosing, right? So it's like, okay, well, we should really talk about what that looks like. So you have AA and NA, Vivitrol, inpatient, and that's about it for people, right? And some people, it just doesn't work for a lot of people. What I think is really interesting is a lot of times people are buying suboxone on the streets instead of heroin because they crave recovery. They really want that treatment, and they can't get into a regular prescriber. And so what's really important, so I'm always, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you'd think they would be buying heroin, but a lot yeah. of times they're buying recovery. So you have someone who was supposed to be here with us tonight, but could not be there, which is Vernon. Um, I was amazed when I heard about this guy's story, and I was hoping that you could share Vernon's story with, with the rest of us and share some of the amazing things that he does for, your, uh, for you guys at Harm Reduction. Sure. So Vernon is our overdose prevention coordinator. I apologize, he's not here tonight. He was actually summoned to Baltimore with the harm reduction big dog, so you'll excuse his um, non-attendance. Um, Vernon is one of the biggest badasses in our community. He uh, overdosed in 2011 and was found by some random guy who was able to call 911 and get um, given naloxone. And since then, Vernon has saved 77 lives in our community with access to naloxone. People are, yeah, that's huge. People who are afraid to go to Denver Health, 
people who are afraid to call 911 would run people to Vernon. So last year when standing orders passed, we hired Vernon and every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday mornings, he does a one-on-one -on -one training with our folks. So it takes about 10 minutes to train him and dispenses naloxone understanding orders. And so in the last year, uh, since like last June, June to present, he has trained over 500 drug users in our community with access to naloxone. So is there a message that you haven't touched on that you'd like to share with this kind of audience of healthcare providers? And donors, thank you so much. Yep. All proceeds are going to the Harm Reduction Action Center this evening, so I appreciate that. Um, please feel free to reach out. We are working, uh, healthcare providers and harm reductionists, and we are, we are very siloed. And I know that there's a lot of folks that feel very siloed within the emergency department in general. Please reach out, please come over for a tour. Let us be supportive to you. People don't wanna have wounds. They don't wanna be in the emergency department for an injection-related disease. They're, they're, they're trying to get it together as much as they can to be able to push forward, whether that's a life of recovery or whether that isn't. Um, they, there is a way to prevent chronic diseases in our community. It's sterile syringe access and appropriate syringe disposal. If you have an injector in your emergency department, please refer them, we want them. When's the last time that somebody came to you and said, we want your injectors from the emergency department, right? We're at 231 East Colfax, right across the street from the Colorado State Capitol, right where we should be. Um, and we'll be there until we get out of this epidemic.